Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday Morning Message. Today is part three of our series entitled, Oh But Yes You Can, by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. Stand to your feet, you're awesome people. I'm going to preach this a little while. I don't preach long because I know what time it is, but I do understand how to redeem the time, and I thank you for being here today. And we honor all of our precious people that call this home church home. We thank you for being here. God bless you. You're incredible people. The finest in all of America go to church right here at Christian Life Church. Turn to somebody and say, he means that, and I really, really do. I'm going to conclude a series today, and I'm going to call it this. Oh, but yes, you can begin again. Two weeks ago, we talked about yes. Last week, we talked about you can. Today, we talk about begin again. Let's put it all together. Oh, but yes, you can begin again. Wow. Doesn't that feel good just to say it? Doesn't it feel good just to say that? Say it again. Oh, but yes, you can begin again. Wow. Leave it up for just a little while. Now clap your hands for the word today. God bless you. And you may be seated. You're awesome people. Football season's going full steam. You believe that? And many of you sat up last night and watched football. Emotions are running high. Also, there's a lot of stories making the rounds. I remember one from years ago, and I, I may have told this about head coach at the University of Tennessee years ago, a man named Johnny Majors. It seemed that Coach Majors bought a bolt of cloth thinking it, it would, it would ha- he could have a suit made out of it. So he took the material to his tailor there in Knoxville, Tennessee, where the tailor measured Coach Majors and examined the bolt of cloth and did some computations on a piece of paper And said, I'm sorry, coach, but there just isn't enough material in this boat to make a suit for you. Majors, of course, was disappointed, but he threw the boat to cloth in the trunk of his car, wondering what he was going to do with it. And a couple of weeks later, he happened to be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the home of the Crimson Tide, the arch enemies of of the volunteers. And he was on his way to the coast for a vacation and driving down Main Street of Tuscaloosa. He noticed a tailor shop, which reminded him that the boat of cloth was in the trunk. So he stopped thinking he would give it a try there. And he told the tailor he had bought this boat of cloth and wondered if he could do anything with it. The tailor measured Coach Majors and measured the boat of cloth and did some computations and finally said, Coach, I can make you a suit out of this boat. And what's more, I can make you an extra pair of pants. And if you really want it, I can make you a vest out of this too. And Coach Majors was dumbfounded. He said, I don't understand. My tailor in Knoxville told me he couldn't even make one suit out of this bolt of cloth. And the tailor said, Coach, here in Tuscaloosa, you're not nearly as big a man as you are in Knoxville. I can make you three or four suits out of that. College recruiter interviewed a high school basketball player, a star. The recruiter said, I hear you're pretty good, son. He said, yeah, I'm the best there is. Player said, I averaged 45 points per game. I led the whole league in rebounding in high school, and I led our team to three straight undefeated seasons and three state championships. And the coach said, that's incredible. Tell me, did you have any weaknesses? And the youngster said, well, I do have a tendency to exaggerate. (laughs) 
We all have weaknesses. There's no perfect tens in the world. Would you turn to your husband and say that to him right now? You may be a nine and a half, honey, but you're not a ten. For example, 90% of men rank themselves above average in athletic ability. It's an amazing thing to me, though, that 98% of golfers in America cannot break 90. Men sometimes exaggerate. Some of us are legends in our own minds, but we have our weaknesses. With that as a, as a backdrop of what I want to say today, I want to read a text to you, and I want you just to remain seated, but I want you to follow me on the, on the screen here today from Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 14. The Bible said the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. It was dressed up nice. It had a nice appearance. It looked good on the outside because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus answered, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Then Luke chapter 13, verse 6 said, Then he told this parable. Jesus told it. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. That's kind of odd. Fig trees don't grow in great vineyards. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? It's useless. Sir, the man said, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears next year, fruit next year, fine. If not, then come back and cut it down. There are two instances in the Word of God. Two times the Bible gives us stories of fig trees and Jesus. The first one happened after the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. In verse 11 that I didn't read, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now what he saw, he came back and cleansed the next day, for they had turned the house into a den of thieves. They had made the house of prayer a den of thieves. But the first story starts the next day. Jesus was hungry. He saw a fig tree. He went to eat something from it, and finding no fruit, he cursed the tree. Say, he cursed the tree. Jesus literally cursed a fig tree. It's hard to see that kind of side with Jesus Christ, but he cursed the tree. Although it was not time for figs, he cursed it anyway. It's just my thoughts. But I believe that Jesus looked back to the garden, and he saw Adam and Eve covering themselves with fig leaves. And he said, you tempted and won against the first Adam. You will not tempt and win against the second Adam. I will not fall prey to what you look like. I want to see what you really are. That's what matters. The second is a parable. A parable of an owner of a vineyard. Sought for three years to find fruit on a fig tree. Something that caused the tree that was supposed to bring fruit to be barren. 
See, fig trees are fruit-bearing trees. Say it, fig trees are fruit-bearing trees. If not, there is something amiss with that tree. And evidently, it wasn't in the leafy texture that it had. It wasn't in the branches that it had. It must have been a root system. It must have been something that was not seeable, that caused it not to be producing. So the owner said to the keeper, cut it down. But the keeper said, the intercessor said, the keeper of the vineyard said, let me work with it one year. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig around it. The parable of the fig tree is clearly a parable of judgment. It really is. And the parable and the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree at Bethany is a story of judgment. But at the very heart of the parable of the fig tree and the intercessor for the tree is a marvelous word called grace. Grace. Listen to the plea of the gardener in response to the owner of the vineyard's command that the fig tree be cut out. Sir, let it alone. Don't bother it for one more year. The plea for grace is where I want to focus. But before I get there, let me take a brief side journey and look at the parable itself. The primary message of the parable is that unfruitfulness is not allowed in God's vineyard. The secondary message is God is not a God of second chances. He's not a God of multiple chances, but he's a God of infinite chances. Somewhere in this life, you're going to run into somebody that believes that God can do anything with anybody at any time on any given Sunday. Hallelujah. And you may have just run into that man today. Because there is something in the heart of my spirit right now that says the Holy Ghost is in this house. And God can do more in the next five minutes in this house than you could do ever in your life for your whole life combined. God is able to turn your hope around today. It's important. Let me preach. H.G. H.G. Wells once wrote an essay on the tribe of people he called the goodness seekers. You ever met any goodness seekers? Goodness seekers. There were folks who would see things like something needed to be done or when they saw some kind of social evil or detected some kind of moral shortcoming. They'd put their hands on their hip and say, for goodness sake, why doesn't somebody do something about this? I know a lot of goodness seekers in life. But they never get around to sharing in doing of what they say goodness sake about. God needs someone to step up and do something about uselessness in the church. Someone to give people a begin again chance in life. And it's in that word of the gardener. Lord, don't cut it down now. Don't cut it down. Give me a year. Let me work on it for one more year. Let me, put, let me dung it. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig it. Let me do what I can. And if it doesn't bear fruit next year, then you can cut it down. But here's what I want to tell you. 
The worthless tree in the, in the vineyard has an intercessor. It has an intercessor. I am not here to brag and boast about preaching. I'm really not. But I'm here to tell you that God has planted in this church a man that understands that people fail. That people have root systems sometimes that causes them to be useless in life. But God has not sent me here to reject you. He has not sent me here to tell you you can't come back to church. He has sent me here to tell you that on any given Sunday, on any given Sunday, there's a God in heaven that can dig into your life, that can dung your heart, that can touch your spirit and turn you around and make you something profitable for the kingdom of God. He can do that. He can do that. Let me reflect on the gospel of becoming it from two different directions today, okay? Because, you see, there's a law of uselessness that induces death. But there's another law higher than the law of uselessness. It's called the law of grace. And here it's suggested it's the gospel of a second chance. I followed this young man's career for many years because he was from the area of my hometown. He was from Lubbock, Texas. I was from Leveland, Texas. His name was Donnie Moore. Donnie was a great high school pitcher, about two years younger than myself. Great pitcher. I followed his career. I saw him go off to college. I saw him get into the pros. He became a great relief pitcher. But Donnie had a problem in his life. Donnie had a problem in his life, and that that was this, that Donnie had evidently an anger issue. And one day he was pitching in 1986 against the Boston Red Sox. He pitched for the California Angels. He was pitching for the Boston Red Sox, and the California Angels had, had the series locked up against the Boston Red Sox, three games to one. They were playing game five there in California, Los Angeles. And Donnie came in with one man on, and the Angels up one run, and Dave Henderson came to bat for the Red Sox. Many of you may have remembered this story, may have remembered seeing this game. It was unbelievable. And Dave Henderson got two strikes on him. Donnie Moore was called in to make the last out. He was the closer for the California Angels, and he pitched a pitch because he had some, had some shoulder problems and his pitch did not break with the sharpness that it should have broke with. And, the, and Dave Henderson hit the ball out of the park. And the Angels went on to win that game, went back, I mean the Red Sox went on to win that game, went back to Boston and won game six and seven and went on to the World Series where they inevitably lost to the New York Mets. But here's the, here's the bottom line. Three years later, Donnie Moore, never been able to get over a mistake in his life. Oh, I'm going to preach today. (laughs) Never being able to get past a peril in his life. Walked in his front door of his house, his beautiful model wife. He shot her down five times, put five bullets in her. And then while the kids were all watching, put a bullet in his head and took his own life. That was in July of 1989. It's the way tragedy ends some people's lives because they think they've got something in their world that's too big for God to forgive. And they can't get past the peril and they become useless to society. Now let me go, let me just fast forward one more month, August 1989. There's another man named Dave Dravecki. And Dave Dravecki was a player for the San Francisco Giants. And Dave Dravecki developed cancer in this left arm. He was a powerful left-hander. He developed cancer in this arm. And they had to have half the muscle that causes a pitcher to have strong pitch and release. 
he had to have half that muscle taken out, the deltoid muscle had to have half of it taken out. And the doctor said, Dave, you'll never pitch again. Your career is over. It's finished. It's done. It's done. It's completed. He said, you may not even be able to play catch with your kids. But in 1989, August of 1989, Dave Drabecki came off the injured reserve list. And he went to pitch against the Cincinnati Reds. And he pitched eight strong innings of three-hit ball or four-hit ball and gave up three runs and got the win that day. And they gave him a standing ovation. And in the next game, Dave Drabecki snapped that arm. And that arm broke in two, and he never was able to pitch again. And finally, he had to have it completely amputated in part of his shoulder. But here's, here's the point. When the game was over that day, when it was over that day, Dave Dravecki uh, 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 said, said it this way. He said, he said it this way. He said, I, I, I want to say something. Before we go any further, I want to say that I give all praise for my being able to pitch today to Jesus Christ. For without him, there is no story. Do you see the difference between one man who perhaps didn't have a pastor, didn't have an intercessor, didn't have somebody begging to dung the tree one more year? Do you see the difference between a man that might have had a pastor, a a group that prayed for him, somebody that surrounded him and said, we're here for you. It doesn't matter what has happened in your life. You're going to come back. You're going to be better than ever. You're going to be stronger than ever. You're going to be mightier than ever. You're going to be greater than ever. Because we have somebody here that's going to help you be stronger than you ever were. Because God is in to second chances. God's in to multiple chances. God's in to infinite chances in your life. Please be seated. Let me hurry. Many things that end life for some becomes the opportunity to begin life for others. Dave Drecky, Drecky never asked why me. He only asked how can. I think Dave Drecky had an intercessor. I think he had a gardener. I think he had someone who digged around him. I think he had someone that fertilized him and made him fruitful. I think Donnie didn't have that. Because, see, life, when it gives you issues, can be a leech, or life can be a ladder. We have the power of choice in the matter. Now, I'm going to make three little points here today, and I'm going to let you go home. But I'm going to preach to you today. The thing that I want to talk about today is the, is the power of the intercessor with the man that owned the vineyard. I want to talk about the power of the intercessor. I want to talk about, first of all, his courage to talk to the owner, courage to talk to God. Let me, let, me, let me do something to this tree, he said. Let me work on it. Let me have it for one year. What he was saying was, let me have it for four seasons. Let me have it in the summer months. Let me, let me just work on it in the summer months. Let me show it what I can do for it in the summer months. Let me work on it through the fall. Just give me the fall season. Let me see some things in, the, in its life in the fall, and I can correct those things. Let me have a, a hard winter with it, if you don't mind. I want a hard winter because I want to show it. Every time I come to take care of it, that it doesn't matter if it's summer, if it's fall, if it's winter, I'm going to be here for it. Let me just, let me, let me, let me let you, let me let you understand that, that I'm going to take care of it in every season. And then when spring comes next year, I'll have it fertilized. I'll have it dug. I'll give it attention. I, it can have a begin again in its life. And grace pastors really believe that. 
They really do. The thing that keeps me preaching this gospel, the thing that keeps me sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is I think that some Sunday, some Sunday morning, somebody's going to walk in here and say, I'm about to throw in the towel. No, don't throw in the towel. Don't let, it be, don't let yourself be cut down. There's hope in your life. There's hope of a tree. Though it be cut down, though the root die in the ground and the stalk wax old in the earth, yet through the sift of water. Let me talk to God on your behalf. There's people walking the streets of Austin, Texas today that think they have done so much that they could never be forgiven. And they become useless in society. And there's no fruit on their tree. And there's nothing in their life. Oh, they might dress well, but it's a root problem. Situations have considered them and beat them up and torn them down. And they don't think that anybody would give them grace and give them a chance. But I promise you, there's an intercessor that's preaching in this pulpit today that gives courage sometimes to talk to God about people that need lifting one more time. The second thing I want to share with you is a commitment to the plant that the man had to have. Every day, every day he had to be there. Every day he had to be digging. Every day he had to show that he loved. Every day he had to give care. Can you hear him talking to that plant? Come on, plant. I know you can't talk back to me, but I'm talking to you. You hear me? You're going to make it. You're not going to die. You're going to live. You hear me? You're going to live. You're going to make it. Hallelujah. That gardener's not going to cut you down. He's not going to kill you. You're going to live. You're going to live. You're going to live. I don't care if you got cocaine running out your ears. You're going to live. 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 It doesn't matter what kind of gang you're in, young man. You're going to live. You're going to live. You're going to live. You're going to live. It doesn't matter how dark the road you walk down. You're going to live. You're going to live. You're going to live. Can you hear him talking? Every Sunday, every Wednesday, every weekday, phone calls, counseling, grace is planning its application. Because grace is into remitting sins, not retaining them. Grace is into loosening people, not binding them. That's what grace is about. So there's got to be a commitment. There's got to be a commitment. Pastor, this is a sermon about you. Yeah, there's sometimes God's give a sh- God gives a shepherd the power to talk to the sovereign about people that are not making it in life. And instead of God saying, you know, I've had it, I've had it, God says, preach to him again next Sunday. Preach to him again next Sunday. And that's what I'm doing every Sunday. Because, you see, I just believe with everything that's in me that because there's grace in this house, that people are going to go to heaven from CLC that might not have ever went to a church in all of Austin because there's no grace preached there. You listen to this pastor. Hard preaching is hard preaching, whether it's standards or whether it's doctrine, whatever it is. But grace preaching is grace preaching wherever it is. Amen. And I am not, I'm not one to, to preach grace as sloppy agape. I'm not one. I've read Romans 6 to Romans 8. I know what it's about. But I know that Paul had a picture of grace. And Romans 6 to 8 is not, oh, to see how much you can sin so God's grace will abound. That's not what it's about. What it's about is understand the grace of God so great you don't ever want to sin anymore. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And I want you to see the big picture in this house. 
that God's grace is so awesome in this place. That when you fall in love with Jesus, you never want to go out there anymore and do the things you used to do and say the things you used to say and be who you used to be. You're going to be useful in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Commitment to the plant. Second chance Sundays happen. It's kind of, I think I've told you a story about that produce clerk in the grocery store was confronted by a woman who wanted to buy half of a grapefruit. Remember that? He said, man, we don't sell half grapefruits. She persisted until finally the clerk went over to his manager. He, unaware the customer had followed him, he said, sir, there's a crazy lady who wants to buy half a grapefruit. Then turning around and seeing the customer right behind him, he said, and this nice lady wants to buy the other half. And as the woman walked away in triumph, the manager said to the produce clerk, that's a good recovery. You're sharp. Where are you from anyhow? He said, I'm from St. Louis, sir, the home of ugly women and great football teams. And the, the, owners, and the, and the manager said, my wife happens to be from St. Louis. And the young man looked at him and said, what position does she play? See, I believe. Listen to me preach now. I believe that God can turn you around just as quick as that store boy got turned around. I believe that great, oh, somebody hear me preach right now. God is in this house. He can turn your life around. He can turn your life around. He can give you chance to be redeemed again on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Not only is it a courage to talk to God, not only is it a commitment to the plant, but it is a posture to cultivate. Let's give it just one more chance, owner. That's what grace is about. Grace allows us to begin again, no matter what. Let me dig, he said, let me dig. See, mercy can be given from a bench with a gavel, with a robe. But grace is given from the knees. Dirty hands digging in the soil. Pharisees can never give grace because they won't bow to anybody or anything. But grace remembers. Grace won't ever forget. And grace won't stop digging and it won't stop fertilizing because God is not a God of second chances. He's not a God of multiple chances. He's a God of infinite chances. They brought a woman to him one day, and I'm not far from closing. They brought a woman to him one day that was caught in a very act of adultery. I wonder why they didn't bring the man. I hear some ladies clapping. That's good. Last time I discovered you couldn't do adultery by yourself. And they threw her down. And they said, Moses' law said we should stone her, but what do you say? And when they gave grace a chance, the intercessor got down on his knee and he started writing. 
And he looked up and he said, he that's without sin. Let him cast the first stone. And the Bible said they all went away from the eldest to the youngest. Because that old man had a lot of them, you know. All of us have sinned and come short. Of the glory of God. He started writing again. He looked at her and he looked around. He said, woman, where are you? an accuser. And she said, I have none, Lord. And he stood her up. This is what happens on a Sunday at Christian Life Church. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go. And sin no more. And sin no more. The only way to give that kind of grace is to be able to get down on your knees and get your hands dirty. Because there's a lot of times in our humanness, in our for goodness sake mindset, we think because maybe we just stole bubble gum and somebody else stole a shotgun that we're not near as bad as they are. But let me list some defeats. Are you with me? And I'm going to close. That may seem to project unattainable victories. Are you ready? I'm going to list some defeats that people have had that may seem to project unattainable victories, and then I'm going to close. I'm talking about beginning again today. Moral failure. The defeat of moral failure. Can I tell everyone in this house that if you've had a moral failure, there's a fresh new start for you today? King David did, and you can too. Let me tell you a defeat that some people can't get past is the loss of a spouse. But there's a new beginning for you today. I stand here today as a witness. You can begin again. Here's a defeat, getting through broken dreams. Pastor, all my dreams have been broken. Elijah's was too. But God met him in a cave. You're in a church house today. Here's a defeat many people can't get through, getting through rotten luck. If you ever read the story of Ruth, her story defies description from no luck at all to God's favor in Boaz's field. You can get through rotten luck. Here's a defeat, getting through being left out in life. I was never chosen. My parents didn't love me. I was just one of those it kids. Talk to Zacchaeus. Talk to David. They both were left out. Jesus went to one of them's house and God anointed the other king of Israel. Here's a defeat, getting through financial ruin. I'm here to tell you, you can have a begin again today in your life. The book of Job is framed around the question, will a man serve God when he's lost everything dear to him, when his best friends desert him, when God is silent? God never explained himself to Job. The big question is, will Job serve God for nothing? The answer was a resounding yes. And as a result, Job was empowered to begin again in his life. Here's a defeat, getting through betrayal. Joseph was betrayed, became second command in Egypt. You can begin again. Here's another one, getting through abuses of childhood, favoritism, 
Maybe demonic spirits that lived in your home. Maybe guilt and shame that comes upon you because of situations in your life. Samuel stood firm in the temple where Eli was when his sons, when the sons of Eli were molesting the daughters of Israel right in front of him. He stood firm. You can get through the abuses of childhood in your life and have a beginning again in your life. Boy, I'm preaching today. Here's the defeat, getting through burnout. Pastor, I'm just tired. I'm just burnt out with life. I'm just burnt out. I don't think anything can ever happen good for me again. Moses began again after 40 years in the wilderness and came to lead God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. Here's a defeat that some people can't get past, getting through broken promises. Peter made so many. He broke them all. But God let him begin again. Here's one, getting through the loss of a child. God, that's tough. So tough. But I will tell you that you can begin again. Please understand. I'm not going to let you fall out now. I'm not going to let you get away from me now. Not now. Because God's let you be here long enough to know that this is a grace man preaching in this pulpit today. Not today. You're not going to walk out on me today. Getting through the loss of a marriage is a defeat that some people never can get past. But you've got to get past it. You've got to move on. You've got to move on. Getting through your mortality. We all have that one to look forward to. From mortality to immortality. And hopefully one day to eternal life. Because you don't want just immortality. You want eternal life. Because when you're immortal, you'll do the same thing you did when you was mortal. Just repeat the same thing in the immortal. But when you have eternal life, you'll be with Jesus Christ the rest of your days. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, this is what it's about. I close today. Somebody needs to help me. I close today. Everybody say, oh, oh. but yes, yes. I can can. begin again. again. Dale Earnhardt was a tough driver in the NASCAR circuit. He was a tough man. Killed at Daytona several years ago in a head-on collision with the wall. His son, Dale Jr., is loved by everybody. And I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I love stories of great people. And Dale had a friend named Michael Waltrip. And Michael Waltrip was a Christian man. And his wife, Stevie, wrote Michael's scriptures before he'd ever get in his NASCAR. And Michael would read the scriptures of this Stevie that she had found for her husband. And so one day, Dale came up to Stevie, Michael's wife, and said, Stevie, do you mind giving me some scriptures? I'm not real religious, but could you give me some scriptures? And Stevie said, sure, I will. But the problem was Michael retired before Dale ever was killed. And so Dale didn't know if Stevie would still come to the track and provide him with scriptures. And the day at Daytona, just before he stepped into the car for the last time, she put a scripture in his hand. It was Proverbs 18 and 10. It said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous runneth into it and is safe. And Dale read it and looked at her and he said, Stevie, I got the good one now, don't I? I got the good one now, don't I? Nobody's got one better than me, do they, Stevie? I got the best card on the track. 
I'd like to look at this congregation today and tell you, with my heart broken and my spirit grieved today, I'd like to tell you that you've got the best that there is in grace this morning. There's nobody got a better card than you have today. Nobody. Nobody. So, Pastor, you really believe what you're preaching? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I want you to be useful in the kingdom. I don't want one mistake or two mistakes or three mistakes to stymie you forever and cause you to never be what God wants you to be in life. I want you to be the person that God wants you to be. That's the best I got for you today. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. Would you stand to your feet? You're awesome. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.